Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 2nd to 8th of August, 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host Jean Deville. And uh, this week we are joining you, or I'm joining you, from uh, the Hong Kong Infection Control Center due to my having tested preliminarily positive for COVID-19 on arrival at Hong Kong Airport yesterday. So uh, we will keep you all up to date, but at the moment I'm being held here until they can confirm that positive test or otherwise have a negative test. Before getting into this week's news updates, first a special shout out to our good friends at spacewatch.global and gotaikonauts, two excellent sources of space industry news, and a kind reminder that in addition to the few stories we will discuss this week, we have a few more stories in our Dongfang Hour newsletter, so do subscribe to that if you have not done so already. This week, we bring you some updates on iSpace's launch attempt, a couple of other launch-related updates. But first, some news on a SAR constellation and what we could call the SAR Wars, which is to say the SAR topic is getting very, very hot in China these days. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. So let's start indeed with SAR Wars, so SAR as in Synthetic Aperture Radar Satellites. On July the 26th, we saw that Chinese remote sensing data analytics company PiSat had signed a strategic cooperation agreement with Galaxy Space, which is a fellow Chinese commercial company specializing in the manufacture of satellites, notably communication satellites, as well as also some downstream applications and services. The agreement that was unveiled between Galaxy Space and PiSat focuses on the establishment of a commercial SAR constellation with Galaxy Space, according to the agreement, taking the lead in terms of satellite manufacturing. So basically providing the hardware while um, PiSat would focus on the um, downstream applications. The collaboration agreement also covers things like ground segments. So basically sending the data from the satellite uh, to the ground. It covers TTNC, so telemetry, tracking and control. It covers also things like, so quoting them here, integrated remote sensing and com communication satellite technology. It's not very clear what exactly this refers to, but it's not entirely unfamiliar considering that we also have another Chinese constellation called Qiansheng-1 and Qiansheng-2 still to be deployed. That's by Qiansheng Exploration. And this constellation is an Earth observation constellation that has a narrowband communications component to it as, as a secondary payload. So it could, it could be the same here for um, the SAR constellation planned by PiSat and Galaxy Space. Now, from a higher level standpoint, there seems to be a gold rush right now for commercial SAR um, satellites recently. And this trend is global. We've probably all heard of um, constellations outside of China, like uh, ISI or Capella Space. And this has also been picking up momentum in China as well. And this is because naturally SAR data is extremely useful. Um, a really great example of that is the great use that uh, SAR data was put to during the Henan flooding a couple of weeks ago. And the reason for this gold rush for SAR is also because I think, um, well, Chinese SAR capabilities over the country are quite scarce still today. If we put, put aside, of course, the, um, the Yao Gan, the military series. Um, and a great example of that is, again, the Hanan flooding, where all the data analytics companies literally were using SAR data and all their SAR data was coming from one single satellite, which was 
um, the Galfin 3. And so the Galfin 3 was is China's first civilian SAR satellite. It was launched in 2016. And it's, you know, the satellite that everyone is relying on. I think the only other SAR satellite that was sort of involved um, in the uh, emergency operations during the Hunan flooding was SpaceD's HISA-1 um, SAR small satellite that was launched in December 2020. And Despite having limited capabilities in SAR today and sort of hinting at my earlier point, uh, we have many commercial SAR constellations and projects that are coming up that are sprouting literally to um, sort of fill the void that we have currently in China. And this could potentially lead to what um, Blaine referred to as the Chinese SAR wars. Uh, due to the associated possible overcapacity in a couple of years. And so among the SAR projects that we've heard of, let, let's give a few examples here. Uh, we have the so-called mini-SAR SAR, um, satellite series from SpaceD, probably the most advanced commercial SAR product at the moment. They already have one such satellite in orbit, as mentioned. It's the HISA-1 that was launched in December um, 2020. And so that's probably the first one, the main one. But we also have uh, MinoSpace, which seems to have developed a SAR variant of their MN200 platform. We also have the Shandong Institute of Industrial Technology that launched the Chilu-1 SAR satellite in April 2021, so a couple of months ago. And we know that there are other companies that have on a regular basis expressed interest in having their own SAR capabilities. And so these include uh, Chinese companies like Foursquare's Technology, China RS, Zhuhai Orbita, and Beijing Smart Satellite. So um, yeah, this leads to this fantastic expression of Star Wars, Blaine. Star Wars, indeed. Yeah, looking forward to seeing the Chinese spin on Chewbacca. That will be interesting. And also to your point about Tiansheng and I guess other kind of integrated EO and, and communications constellations, um, this is certainly something that we've seen more broadly by by China in the sense that we've heard quite a lot about the uh, what is it Tongdaoyao Yitihua the the sort of uh, the communication uh, the integration of communication satnav and EO um, in these constellations so so definitely a topic to to keep an eye on um, sort of in the on the periphery this uh, this in integration of um, communication and, and EO uh, so just a couple of small points to add to the PiSat and Galaxy Space announcement more specifically um, so I would first point out that PiSat had previously announced a four-satellite SAR constellation with a cost of around 240 million RMB and with the prime contractor for that constellation being cast. And so it's not entirely clear, but it seems likely that this constellation is that constellation. And despite the announcement with Galaxy Space this week, uh, which is significant, and I'll get to that in a moment, um, we did also see a recent contract from about a week and a half ago for about 215 million RMB awarded by PiSat to CAST. And so probably CAST will be the prime manufacturer and Galaxy Space will offer a supporting role. Um, I would also point out that the, uh, the CAST contract mentions 24-month uh, construction time for the Constellation. Um, I, I think another relevant player in this constellation is the, uh, the CAS Aerospace Information Research Institutes, the This is a, a, an institute of the Chinese Academy of Sciences that's known for its ability in SAR payloads and SAR data processing. So I guess probably what we're seeing is um, potentially Galaxy Space providing the satellite bus or some other rather less highly specialized part of this uh, this project. And then we have the CAS Aerospace Information Research Institute providing the uh, some of the SAR technology, and then CAST probably being the integrator potentially, and also maybe providing some SAR technology. 
Um, so overall, definitely an interesting constellation involving what is basically an all-star team of players. So PySAD is arguably China's leading Earth observation data analytics company. They successfully IPO'd on the starboard in 2019, and they are currently sitting on a market capitalization of about 7.5 billion RMB, so about 1.2 billion US dollars. And I would also point out that the market appears to like the news about this constellation as PySat's share price has gone up about 15% in the past five trading days. So then looking at, at Galaxy Space specifically and, um, and their, their role in this project, I think that this is probably the most interesting company involved in the project. I mean, CAST and, and the CAS are both very much usual suspects as it relates to satellite manufacturing and SAR. Galaxy Space, less so. Uh, so the company has an interesting history, having initially been very much hell-bent on launching their own broadband satellite constellation, aiming for tens of thousands of satellites to provide primarily sort of 5G connectivity is the way they would have branded that. Um, they have since pivoted significantly to being more of a pure play satellite manufacturer and to some extent developing some applications. And this is where I think it gets quite interesting. Um, with Galaxy Space having won this deal to have some role in manufacturing SAR-EO satellites, it is some degree of validation for their ability to manufacture satellites, while at the same time being um, a little bit unusual in that it is Earth observation. And again, up to this point, Galaxy Space has pretty much been focused on telecommunication satellites. So um, this is, again, a, a pretty interesting development with Galaxy Space apparently uh, branching out a little bit to do uh, manufacturing of, of Earth observation satellites. Um, so I, I guess this is kind of surprising as well, given the fact there are several other Chinese commercial satellite manufacturers that have put more emphasis on SAR for a longer period of time. So this would be companies like Minospace or Comsat or Spacity. And so probably we can assume one of two things as it relates to Galaxy Space's involvement specifically as a commercial satellite manufacturer. Uh, so the first could be that Galaxy Space offered a sort of a better turnkey package. So not just the satellite, but some TTNC uh, assistance or otherwise some application development, this type of thing, uh, or two, that Galaxy Space offered some funding or some other equity in return for getting this deal. So they are basically more of a partner than a supplier in, in that case. And if I were to speculate, I would say the latter is more likely. The Galaxy Space has either put up some money or some equity or some other financial um, financial element as part of this deal. And again, being then more of a partner than a supplier. And this is, I think, made more likely by the fact that Galaxy Space is known to be quite rich. They are the only, as far as I know, uh, unicorn in the Chinese commercial space sector, having achieved a valuation of more than $1 billion at their last funding round in late 2020. And so again, I think if I had to guess, I would say that the involvement of Galaxy Space as the commercial satellite manufacturer is more of a reflection of their either their their financial prowess or their willingness to to put up some capital uh, than it is about necessarily their their SAR capabilities because there are a couple of other commercial satellite manufacturers that seem to have more advanced specifically SAR capabilities. Um, 
So yeah, anything else, John, from your side on uh, on the SAR Wars, uh, or shall we move into the uh, the iSpace Hyperbola One launch? Yeah, I'm good. Let's move to uh, iSpace and the Hyperbola One. So Chinese commercial launch company iSpace, also known as Interstellar Glory, attempted to launch its solid fueled small lift rocket called the Hyperbola One, and this was on August the third. And the Hyperbola One is notable for being the first Chinese commercial company to ever have successfully reached orbit. That was in July 2019. But unfortunately for iSpace this time, the launch ended up in failure, which according to the press release was due to the unsuccessful payload fairing separation that took place in the final stages basically of the launch. It's worth noting also that the press release while announcing this failure of the Hyperbola 1 that was launched a couple of days ago did adopt a sort of a positive stance. It notes that notably, while the four rockets stages separated successfully during the launch. The attitude and orbital control engines were correctly. The GNC, so the, the guidance, navigation, and control was nominal. We also had successful payload separation. So payload separation being the satellite separating itself from the rocket. And so the only issue basically, but of course a fatal issue was the payload fairing um, separation. And so basically this press release formulates um, this launch attempt as a failure, but also as a near success that has contributed in collecting a lot of very precious um, and useful flight data. This is the second launch failure in a row for iSpace. It also failed another launch of the Hyperbola 1, and that was in February um, 2021, so just a couple of months ago. And this is out of a total of three Hyperbola 1 launches. So that's a failure rate of uh, about 66%. And I think to, right now it's still unclear to what extent this additional failure um, will affect iSpace, because iSpace is really one of the best funded and one of the most advanced launch commercial launch companies in China, it has very big plans, very ambitious plans. It has, for example, the reusable medium lift liquid fuel Hyperbola 2 that um, should perform some first hops by the end of this year. And they also have a Hyperbola 3. So we're talking about a Falcon 9 class or Falcon Heavy class um, rocket that just passed the definition phase this year and that has entered the R&D phase. So a company with big plans. And I also want to mention that iSpace is not the only company that has encountered uh, launch failures over the past couple of months and, and years. And some examples is one space and land space that both experienced one failure each. And we also had X space with two failures of their Kwaizhou rockets, Kwaizhou series of rockets. So, um, so yeah, space is hard and everyone is having these problems. I think the main issue for iSpace as the leading sort of one of the leading commercial launch companies is that we have a lot of other launch companies and they are not far behind and they are all closing in. And so just to give a few examples of that, we have Galactic Energy that successfully launched this series one, also a small lift solid field rocket. And that was at the end of last year. And at, in this year, they also plan to perform two more series one launches. And so if these two succeed, then they will potentially play the reliability card saying, hey, out of this uh, class of solid fuel rockets, we're at three out of three, Hyper, you know, Hyperbola one is one out of three. So that's that's a major advantage for them. And we have another company called Caspace, which previously mentioned that they would have the maiden launch of their ZK-1 rocket in September 2021. So in a couple of weeks, basically. And we also have a lot of other rocket companies that have big plans for their medium lift liquid fueled rockets. And just to list a few here, once again, land space with their ZQ-2 uh, by the end of this year with their maiden launch. We have Tianbing Aerospace with the Tianlong-1 also by the end of this year, according to what they mentioned previously. We have Galactic Energy with the Palace-1 next year, and we have Deep Blue Aerospace with the Nebula-2 also potentially next year. So, And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So 
really, I think it'll be interesting to see how iSpace um, tries to get out of this sticky situation. I guess that the success of the hops and the maiden launch of the Hyperbola 2 will play a major role. Um, so let's see how the, you know, in one year or two, how the, um, you know, the, the dust settles down and, um, which, which rocket manufacturer is really able to produce an operational, a reliable and a cost efficient launch vehicle. Indeed. And, uh, at least the ZQ2 over here, we'd call it the ZQ2, I suppose, but that, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, so definitely a tough break for iSpace. And I do kind of have to wonder, um, is part of the, well, is it rather overly ambitious to be developing three distinct rockets at the same time? And is that contributing to um, the, you know, apparently relatively low success rate in what is admittedly a small sample size? But either way, uh, space is hard. Um, so getting back to the, the launch, so not a lot to add to the existing analysis, though a couple of small points. Um, so first, our sources in China tell us that the satellite on this ill-fated Hyperbola rocket was an Earth observation satellite to be operated by CGSTL. And uh, the Earth, uh, CGSTL is a Earth observation satellite manufacturer and constellation operator, as we've discussed before, with some very ambitious plans, including expanding its current GLIN-1 constellation of 25 satellites to 60 satellites by year end and to 138 satellites uh, by the end of 2025. So again, it seems that the satellite on this rocket was a CGSTL satellite. So the next point is that the launch failure is yet another example of the growing pains that China's commercial space industry continues to go through and that Jean alluded to earlier. And just to dig a little bit more into this, we've heard multiple times from satellite manufacturers and from uh, aspiring constellation operators that the main or the, one of the main bottlenecks for their deployment of their constellations is the launch side of the industry. Specifically, there is simply not enough launch vehicle capacity. And this makes some degree of sense and it is exacerbated by the fact that most cask launches are either spoken for by missions that are either very large, so like no extra space, or very sensitive and critical. So even if there was extra space, they're not going to risk the mission just to add a 50 kilogram commercial satellite that, that's going to be you know, the, the sixth payload. So, so basically, despite the fact that cask this year, as we've heard, 40 plus launches planned, um, there's really not that much launch space on the traditional cask rockets at the moment for commercial companies. And so as such, um, many Chinese commercial satellite manufacturers are awaiting a more regular commercial launch cadence, which is something that we've heard about as, you know, on the way for some time. And uh, as John mentioned, there are a plethora of commercial companies working very hard to develop rockets now. So the iSpace setback, uh, while not ideal, is probably not the end of the world as it relates to Chinese commercial launch. And so, um, in fact, just last week, uh, sorry, just this week, uh, we received some other updates from some other commercial launch companies that are uh, quite a bit more promising. And uh, that segue being the case, Sean, anything uh, on your side about these other commercial launch companies? Absolutely. There's a big update from Deep Blue Aerospace. Over the past week, we saw that Deep Blue Aerospace, so a Chinese, another Chinese commercial launch company, performed the first hop of their um, Nebula M, which is a vertical takeoff, vertical landing demonstrator that we sort of mentioned also in past episodes in, in recent times. And so this was their very first hop. The highest point of the hop was around 10 meters. And this test had the objective of verifying three performance points. And so the first one was the thrust adjustments during the hop, which went from 60% thrust to 100%. And this throttling was enabled by controlling the power of the electrical pumps of the Lighting 5 Carolox engine that equips 
this small demonstrator. The second point to verify was the guidance and control algorithms, which enable the stability of the rocket. So basically controlling things like, um, well, the speed, the pitch, the yaw of the rocket. And these, according to the press release, performed nominally. And finally, the last thing that uh, was to be tested during the launch was the rocket's landing struts in operational conditions. And so these must act as a shock absorber as the rocket lands and adapt to the different impact speeds and also the tilt that the rocket may have when it is um, entering contact with the ground. And so it must also um, resist the massive and the very intense thermal environment that is caused by the um, exhaust of, of the rocket's engine. Now, this is big or small news, um, depending on which angle you use to look at it. So for the Chinese commercial space industry, I think this is undeniably big news. It is Deep Blue Aerospace's very first hop. So this is a very important milestone on its way to developing vertical takeoff, vertical landing technology. And it is the second only Chinese company ever to have performed this. The other one being LinkSpace with their RLV um, demonstrator series. And it also suggests that China's launch sector is getting closer and closer to developing a reusable launch vehicle with a similar pro flight profile as um, the SpaceX Falcon 9. Now, this also could be considered as a very small step in the sense that just so much remains to be done by Deep Blue Aerospace before it actually produces an operational rocket. Um, the Nebula M, as mentioned in past episodes of Dongfang Hour, is a teeny tiny rocket. It's a single engine rocket. It's barely 7.3 meters tall. Really, the sole purpose is demonstrating the low altitude hops that it has started performing. And the single engine, it's equipped with the Leiting 5, is I think a 50 kilonewton class Carolox engine, which will definitely not be the engine that will be used on the, uh, you know, on the main stage of the Nebula 2 operational rocket. So I uh, really, it's a pure demonstrator. And while DBA, so Deep Blue Aerospace, also attempted a comparison of its hop with SpaceX's Starship, as well as the early Falcon 9 prototypes, the, the, the Grasshopper, basically, which was a Falcon 9 first stage demonstrator. We're talking here with Deep Blue Aerospace about a much more simple technology demonstrator, the Nebula M. And so there's still a lot of work to do for DBA. Now, of course, not to take away the credit from them, really congrats to the DBA team for a successful first hop. This is a very important milestone. It's good work and hopefully they can also succeed in more ambitious hops with higher altitude, uh, certainly in the weeks and months um, to come. So Blaine, anything else you want to tell us about launch? I think there's also some news coming from central China. Indeed, yeah. And before getting into that, Link Space, what a blast from the past. I feel like we have not heard from them in a very long time. But indeed, oh. they did uh, They did succeed in that hop of quite a little while ago, I think. So we'll see. Uh, so yeah, to Central China and another commercial launch company. This week, we saw Kasich commercial launch subsidiary XBase announce that they had completed assembly of both a Quadro 1A and a Quadro 11 rocket. And so just to review a little bit, XBase is one of China's leading commercial launch companies, having completed nine successful launches of the Quadro 1A in the several years leading up to mid-2020. And the company has, uh, light, well, they've received significant support from Kasich. It is basically a subsidiary of the large Kasich subsidiary Sanjiang Group. And um, yeah, they, they have use that support to uh, to basically become like, arguably the leading commercial launch company in China. More recently, however, XBase has faced some challenges, namely the failure in the inaugural launch of their Quadro 11 in July of 2020, and then a second failure on the 10th launch of the Quadro 1A in September of 2020. 
And since those two failures, so almost going on one year, we've heard very few updates from XBase. And the lack of the Kuaizhou 11 in China's launch manifest is certainly a contributor to the bottleneck that I mentioned earlier for the launch of various commercial satellite programs. And this would include most notably CGSTL and probably also Xingyun, which is a constellation that is being developed by Kasich and that would presumably be launched primarily using X-Space rockets. So moving forward, I think the completion of the assembly of these two rockets uh, and also just the public announcement of such may indicate that we're getting close to a return to launch for one or both of these rockets. And so just a final point on X-Space, this news is but the latest from the company's Wuhan Aerospace Industrial Base, which is a massive project that calls for a rocket factory, satellite factory, and various supporting industries. Um, So the base has seen some fits and starts, uh, notably multiple Kuaizhou failures and some questionable progress by Hongyun and Xingyun. Uh, We have seen in recent months several significant updates. And so the uh, aforementioned satellite factory was completed in January of 2021 and produced its first satellite in May of 2021, an event that we covered in the Dongfang Hour uh, newsletter issue number two. And so moving forward, uh, a return to flight of the Kuaizhou 11 and the Kuaizhou 1A could be a catalyst for a large increase in the number of satellites launched by Kasich, um, because again, you have these couple of different constellation plans that are presumably planning to be launched on Kasich rockets, and you can't do that without Kasich rockets launching. So again, a little bit of speculation. It's not entirely clear how soon these rockets are going to return to flight, but having not heard anything from X-Space about these rockets for almost a year, it is probably noteworthy that they are uh, publicly saying they've completed the assembly of these rockets and that it's all, all is well. So um, definitely a lot of going on in the commercial launch sector in China. Uh, Jean, anything else from your side on, uh, on X-Base or any of these other, other, other updates? I'm good for this week. Excellent. Well, uh, I am certainly good for this week because I'm sitting in my hospital bed. Uh, so, uh, This has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 2nd to 8th of August, 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host Jean Deville. And if I'm still in the same spot next week, then uh, we've got some problems. So let's hope that I'm not uh, still sitting in the hospital about a week and a half from now. And uh, until then, uh, stay well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for watching. See you next week.